Hi, welcome to week two of Come Follow Me. I think we're going to have an exciting year this year. So let's get right to it. This week's Come Follow Me subject encompasses 1 Nephi chapters 1 through 5. Now that is an extraordinary task to undertake. To put it into perspective, just this morning I was reading the transcripts from Hugh Nibley's Honors Book of Mormon class that he taught at BYU from 1988 to 1990. Unfortunately for me, I attended BYU before his time there so I have only the privilege of reading the transcripts from his class, but oh, how I would have loved to attend his classes in person. Anyway, the reason I say this week's lesson is an extraordinary task is because Nibley took no less than nine class periods just to get through 1 Nephi chapter 1, and the information he imparted was wonderfully rich and compelling. Oh well, we'll do the best we can, with the time we have. But let me just say, the book of 1st Nephi could easily fill an entire year of study by itself. That's how rich it is. And the rest of the Book of Mormon is also. And that's why you cannot possibly grasp all there is within its pages with just one reading. It is a book that requires, or should I say offers, a lifetime of rewarding study. All who read it over and over including prophets and apostles, testify that they learn something new every time they read it. So, let's get started, shall we? Those of you who have listened to my regular Digging Deeper podcast will remember that the very first episode was titled, Why 600 B.C.? And it asked the question, why did the Book of Mormon start precisely in 600 B.C.? It laid the groundwork for the beginning of the Book of Mormon And even that episode was an abbreviated version of all the information I had gleaned about the events and the politics that led up to 600 BC and the turmoil that was embroiling the city and region in and around Jerusalem. For today's purposes, I'll just say that this was a very turbulent and dangerous time for the people of that already ancient city. It had just been sieged for a time by Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians, and that only stopped when he was able to install his own king over Judea. His name was Mataniah, or alternatively Matanyahu, but once he was seated, he changed his name to Zedekiah. Jeremiah was the prophet of record at that time, and you can turn to the Old Testament to read his account for further light and knowledge of the period, if you like. Unfortunately for the people of Jerusalem, Zedekiah almost immediately turns against his benefactor, Nebuchadnezzar, and sets in motion events that will, within a few years, lead to the destruction of Jerusalem for the first time and the captivity of the people who will be taken into the land of Babylon as slaves for the next 60 years. 
It is against this backdrop that we begin Nephi's autobiography, which we have learned from recent archaeology is how almost all ancient Egyptian records of that day were written. Nephi starts his account in the very traditional way for the time, by stating his name and his heritage. He says, I, Nephi, having been born of goodly parents, therefore I was taught somewhat in all the learning of my father, and having seen many affliction in the course of my days, nevertheless, having been highly favored of the Lord in all my days, yea, having had a great knowledge of the goodness and the mysteries of God, therefore I make a record of my proceedings in my days. If you listen carefully, you will hear that these are the words of an old man here. These words were not written contemporary to the times. This is an old man talking close to the end of his life. You can hear it in his words, quote, having seen many affliction in the course of my days and having been highly favored of the Lord in all my days. If we jump ahead for just a moment to 1 Nephi 19, we read where he is commanded to make plates of ore. It says, quote, that I may make a record of my people. Upon these plates which I made, I did engrave in the record of my father, and also our journeyings in the wilderness, and the prophecies of my father, and also many of mine own prophecies have I engraven upon them. Now that was at least 10 years after they left Jerusalem, and on those plates, now called the large plates of Nephi, was recorded the events from Alma onward in our Book of Mormon. We learned that Nephi actually made two sets of plates, the large plates of Nephi and the small plates of Nephi. This record of first and second Nephi was written about 40 years after they left Jerusalem on the small plates, and you can read that in second Nephi chapter 5, verses 30 and 31. They say, And it came to pass that the Lord said unto me, Make other plates, and thou shalt engraven many things upon them which are good in my sight for the profit of thy people. Wherefore, I, Nephi, being obedient to the commandments of the Lord, went and made these plates upon which I have engraven these things. So you see, we're talking now 40 years after they left Jerusalem. But that gives Nephi the wisdom, the age, and the experience to put into perspective all of the things that happened to him as a young man when they left Jerusalem. Also a point of interest here. We say that Mormon abridged the Book of Mormon. Well, that's true to a point. He did not, however, abridge the small plates of Nephi. That is, 1 Nephi up to Omni. Only the large plates. The small plates were left to Nephi to abridge, which he did somewhat. You see, when Joseph Smith set about to translate the plates, he completed the first 116 pages, which he said was the Book of Lehi. Those were the pages that he reluctantly lent to Martin Harris, who took them home to show his wife, who promptly stole them. They are lost probably forever, because Joseph declined to retranslate them, saying that instead he would translate an abridgment of them that Nephi had made. And we can read Nephi's words to this effect. He says, Behold, I make an abridgment of the record of my father upon plates which I have made with my own hands. Wherefore, after I have abridged the record of my father, then I will make an account of mine own life. 
I'm sorry I keep getting off the track, but you can see there is so much history and backstory to this work. It is so easy to go down the rabbit hole, as they say. But that is why I say we could spend the entire year just on 1st Nephi if we chose. Okay, 1st Nephi 1. As I said in the opening, Jerusalem was a very dangerous place in 600 B.C., and Lehi's family was caught up in the middle of that. The story starts by setting the scene. For it came to pass in the commencement of the first year of the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah, my father Lehi, having dwelt at Jerusalem in all his days, and in that same year there came many prophets, prophesying unto the people that they must repent, or the great city of Jerusalem must be destroyed. I'm sorry, I must step out here once more. There is just so much in these early passages. Notice that the salvation of the city was dependent upon the people of the city repenting, not upon the relative strengths of Nebuchadnezzar's armies and the Israelites' ability to defend against them. If the people would repent, they could save their city. If they did not, they would be destroyed. I bring this up because I think this is a lesson for all nations. It seems that here in America, we are so divided that we could easily destroy ourselves. We have the might to fight anyone and defend ourselves. Anyone, that is, except ourselves. As Abraham Lincoln said, a nation divided against itself cannot stand. So too, any people devolved into wickedness, which goes hand in hand with that. So here we see that unfolding in Jerusalem. And as we read further, we will see that Jerusalem was in fact destroyed shortly thereafter. But for now, prophets are trying their best to call the people to repentance. Lehi, who had lived in and loved his city his whole life, saw this, and Nephi records, Wherefore it came to pass that my father Lehi, as he went forth, prayed unto the Lord, yea, even with all his heart, in behalf of his people. He received a visit from the Lord, and the things which he saw and read scared him to the point that he gave up his business and took to the streets to join the other prophets in warning his people. Well, that didn't work out so well, and so we read in 1 Nephi chapter 2, verse 2, And it came to pass that the Lord commanded my father, even in a dream, that he should take his family and depart into the wilderness. And it came to pass that he was obedient unto the word of the Lord, wherefore he did as the Lord commanded him. Notice that it says the Lord commanded him. He did not suggest or hint. Lehi had to be commanded to leave. This is not just a choice of one word over another, but a clear record. I did a podcast on Moses and the Fiery Serpents. That was episode number 48, where Jordan Peterson gives a wonderful explanation of why people refuse to leave bad situations on their own. Here, Lehi is facing a horrible choice. Stay in a very dangerous place and possibly be killed, or flee to the desert, a very dangerous place, and possibly be killed. Not a good set of choices. And Peterson says in situations like that, people will always choose the devil they know over the devil they don't. That is why Lehi had to be commanded to leave. The record indicates that only his and Ishmael's families, along with the servant Zoram, 
escaped, while all the rest of Jerusalem fell to the Babylonians and were carried away captive as slaves for the rest of their days. The lesson here is, great are the works of the Lord, and blessings follow them that obey. It was not easy for the families in the desert, but they survived, except for Ishmael, and after much tribulation, made it to a promised land. But here I'm getting ahead of myself again, I'm sorry. Here in chapter 2, we learn some very good lessons. Nephi was a young man of faith. While his two eldest brothers, Laman and Lemuel, complained that their father was a visionary man who had taken them from their homes and riches and the life they knew, Nephi trusted his father. However, like most young people, he wanted to know for himself. So the record says, And it came to pass that I, Nephi, being exceedingly young, Nevertheless, being large in stature, and also having great desires to know the mysteries of God, wherefore I did cry unto the Lord, and behold, he did visit me, and did soften my heart that I did believe all the words which had been spoken by my father. Wherefore, I did not rebel against him like unto my brothers. And I spoke to Sam, making known unto him the things which the Lord had manifested to me by his Spirit, and it came to pass that he believed in my words. I think these verses indicate that even Nephi didn't want to leave Jerusalem, but he had enough faith in his father to obey his wishes to leave. Nevertheless, he wanted to understand better why this had happened, and his faith in God was strong enough that he had hope that he could receive his own answer, which he did. Once he had sought and received the Lord's comfort, his heart was softened, and his support for what the family was doing was increased. It was at that time, not before, that he went to his brother Sam and pacified him. But the pride of the older brothers would not be pacified, and that would prove to be a problem for the rest of their lives. The faith and or obedience of all four brothers would be put to the test very quickly. Once the families had journeyed three days, they camped by a river in a valley. And it was there that Lehi observed the ritual of Sukkot, one of the three pilgrimage festivals of Israel, also known as the Festival of the Tabernacles. It commemorates the flight out of Egypt by the Israelites. The festival was unknown to Joseph Smith as he translated the book, but this is why Nephi took the time to state what otherwise should have been obvious when he says in verse 15, And my father dwelt in a tent. This is the shortest verse in the Book of Mormon and is there solely to evidence that observation. And you can hear more about this in my podcast entitled, My Father Dwelt in a Tent, which is episode number 10. And now we're in chapter 3. I just hate going through them just quickly, but we have to hit the high points, and these are the points pointed out by the guidance and the lessons. It was here in this valley that Lehi received instruction from the Lord to have his sons return to Jerusalem, to the house of their relative Laban, to acquire some records of the scriptures and of their genealogy that was inscribed upon plates of brass. Here's what it says. And it came to pass that he spake unto me, saying, Behold, I have dreamed a dream in the which the Lord hath commanded me that thou and thy brethren shall return to Jerusalem. For behold, Laban hath the record of the Jews, and also the genealogy of my forefathers. 
and they are engraven upon plates of brass. Wherefore, the Lord hath commanded me that thou and thy brethren should go unto the house of Laban and seek the records and bring them hither into the wilderness. And then Lehi adds this for Nephi. He says, And now behold thy brothers murmur, saying it is a hard thing which I have required of them. But behold, I have not required it of them, but it is the commandment of the Lord. Therefore, go, my son, and thou shalt be favored of the Lord, because thou hast not murmured. And this is where we get that wonderful statement by Nephi of faith and instruction. Instruction that would do us all well to remember and hold dear. Nephi responds, And it came to pass that I, Nephi, said unto my father, I will go and do the thing which the Lord hath commanded. For I know that the Lord giveth no commandment unto the children of men, save he prepare a way for them that they may accomplish the thing which he hath commanded them. I'm sure you all know the story. The boys returned to Jerusalem, and they go into Laban and request the plates. The boys drew lots, and it was determined that Laman should go in unto Laban. But Laban rejected his request and threw him out, calling him a robber and threatening to slay him. So the boys decided to go to their old home and gather up their gold and silver and all their riches and return to him. This time, he took their precious things and threw them out again. And as they fled, he sent his forces after them to slay them. Well, as you know, they escaped and fled to outside the walls of the city. The older boys wanted to return to their father and tell him they had failed, but Nephi and Sam resisted. The older boys grew angry and began to beat the younger brothers until an angel stopped them in their tracks. The angel addressed them and said, Why do ye smite your younger brother with a rod? Know ye not that the Lord hath chosen him to be a ruler over you, and this because of your iniquities? Behold, ye shall go up to Jerusalem again, and the Lord will deliver Laban into your hands. A couple of interesting things here. One is that in the very next verse, Laman and Lemuel again begin to murmur immediately. One would think that the visit of an angel would stop anyone in their tracks, but for these older boys, their hard hearts only a little allowed for the words of the angel to sink in. But they did, in fact, relent and return once more, where Laban was indeed delivered into the hands of Nephi. And the boys were ultimately successful in acquiring the plates and returning to their father, their mission accomplished. Another point not to be missed here is that from the beginning, though they were not happy about it, the boys did, in fact, leave Jerusalem with their parents. Some children might have put their foot down and said, no, I'm not leaving. But the boys, Laman and Lemuel in particular, though they were definitely not happy, still they did respect their father enough to go with them into the desert. Again, when Lehi sent them back to Jerusalem, though they did not like it, Laman and Lemuel did again obey and go back with Nephi and Sam. And then again, when the angel commanded them, they once again obeyed, although reluctantly. We should not think of Laman and Lemuel as completely wicked, evil boys. They were headstrong and independent-minded, for sure, but they were not 100% bad. They simply had strong ideas of their own, and they did not have enough faith to follow willingly, or perhaps I should say without question. I point this out because sometimes we like to think that the good guys were 100% good and the bad guys were 100% bad, but that is hardly ever the case. If we read carefully, 
we see that even Nephi must have had some misgivings about leaving Jerusalem in the beginning because it says that it was only after he had his own personal revelation from the Lord that he says his heart was softened and he did not rebel. And it was then that he spoke to Sam and softened his heart as well. Why do I point this out? It's because we like to think that we have faith. And I'm sure we do. But do we ever rebel or question or doubt the words of the prophets today? Do we ever have misgivings about some of the guidance we are given? Sure we do. For most of us, our faith is still strong enough to get us through the day. But we should remember that faith, personal faith, can be a fluctuating thing. In chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, we have a record of a moment of doubt from Nephi's mother. This was when the boys returned with the plates. You can feel a mother's pain and a mother's joy at what transpired. It says, And it came to pass that after we had come down into the wilderness unto my father, behold, he was filled with joy. And also my mother Sariah was exceedingly glad, for she truly had mourned because of us. For she had supposed that we had perished in the wilderness, and she also complained against my father, telling him that he was a visionary man, saying, Behold, thou hast led us forth from the land of our inheritance, and my sons are no more, and we perish in the wilderness. And after this manner of language had my mother complained against my father. And it came to pass that my father spake unto her, saying, I know that I am a visionary man, for if I had not seen the things of God in a vision, I should not have known the goodness of God, but had tarried in Jerusalem and had perished with my brethren. You see, even their mother had moments of doubt, both in her husband and also God. Here, too, we see what I mentioned earlier, that Lehi had to be commanded to leave or else he would have stayed to the bitter end and become enslaved or worse, killed. We need to understand that faith can be a perishable commodity. It can be strong in one instance, but then weak in another. How many missionaries were faithful in the field, but let that faith lag once they returned home? How many people have left the church, not over disbelief in the Book of Mormon, but because of some policy of the church that they disagree with? I once had a t-shirt that said, 90% Nephite, 10% Lamanite. I thought it was funny at the time, but as I think about it, I realize that we all must keep and strengthen our faith continually, or we all may inadvertently find ourselves as Laman and Lemuel. And I should point out that Laman and Lemuel, as cantankerous as they were, stayed with the family and their people until the death of Lehi. It was only then that the people split into Lamanites and Nephites. As I said in the beginning, the lessons and information contained in this first book of Nephi could fill an entire year of study, and the second book as well. We have only so much time. I feel bad because there's so much material I had to skip over, and I wish I could share that with you. And maybe I'll do a regular full-length podcast on First Nephi 1. But anyway, I will have to leave the rest of the wonderful discovery up to you. There are other wonderful podcasts on the Come Follow Me program, and I encourage you to listen to them as well. Between us all, you should get a very nice grounding in the Book of Mormon as we go through it this year. Just don't forget to come back here next week and listen to mine when we will be studying 1 Nephi 6 through 10. There's some good stuff in there as well. Until then, I'm Mark Swint, 
Thank you for listening.